everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, still part of the Peri Veritas Network podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth way possible. How's everybody doing? I don't know why, I don't know why that question always cracks me up, but it kind of does. You know why? I mean, usually I feel like when someone asks you how you're doing, that is really a question meant for a short answer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good. Or um, as well as can be expected. <laughs> or, you know, all sorts of different crafty, creative ways of uh, answering that question without, you know, really answering that question. Um, but... <laughs> When I ask that question, I know I'm about to follow up by giving like anywhere from a 25 to 50 minute answer to the question. <laughs> I mean, especially this episode, because this is designed to be another solo app. Um, kind of digging the solo apps recently. I don't know. It's sort of cathartic and I don't know, fun and, and good. And um, I can't say that I necessarily enjoy it all the time. I mean, rewind a couple episodes and you'll hear in a solo ep that is uh, clearly highly unenjoyable <laughs> on the spectrum of enjoyment. You'll definitely see that. So yeah, if you rewind, you'll, you'll hear different things, but I find it to be cathartic and yeah, at times I enjoy it. You know, it's, it feels good to talk. Uh, I'm not like an extrovert by definition. You know, the, the way I, the, my favorite definition of an extrovert and introvert, you know, like a lot of people, when they define the word extrovert or introvert, what they mean is people who are sort of comfortable in certain spaces. So when you imagine an extrovert, you imagine someone who is highly comfortable in public and in crowds and with other people. And when you, and, and maybe not so comfortable on their own, you know, but maybe also comfortable on their own, but maybe not so comfortable on their own. And when you imagine an introvert, you imagine someone who is uncomfortable in crowds and only comfortable alone. But actually, it's it's more complicated than that. I mean, there are also people who call themselves ambiverts, you know, where they're sort of 50-50 either way. My favorite definition of extrovert-introvert has to do with sort of defining where you draw your energy from. Meaning, like, if I was an extrovert, it would be because... I draw my energy and inspiration from being with other people more than I draw energy and inspiration from being alone. Or I draw closer to myself, mostly via the gateway of being other people, being with other people, and don't need to recharge on my own, you know, in order to sort of be myself. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what an extrovert might be. And an introvert is somebody who ultimately needs some time alone in order to kind of recharge in order to sort of draw in to themselves again. And that's what I am. I mean, I'm definitely an introvert along those lines, but I also enjoy interacting with people, you know, and my last job, the one where I was a rabbi, <laughs> uh, that one was, you know, a very, very social job. In fact, it's 95% social, 5% kind of preparation, you know, 
some rabbis do a different percentage along those lines, but that's typically where I'm at. 90% social and maybe 10% preparation. I don't know. It's mostly social. It's mostly social. So I definitely enjoy being with people and I definitely enjoy talking. And it's one of those things where I don't like get to talk in the same way as I used to, you know, like being a recruiter, I definitely get to talk, but it's a lot of voicemail messages, 10 minute conversations about one specific thing, short little check-in and then diving into whatever position I'm trying to sell, you know, and then conversations with my colleagues and things like that. But it's not the same where when I was a rabbi, I was like, I was talking all the time. Or like when I was teaching classes and I'd just be standing in front of people just giving a lecture for fucking 30 minutes. <laughs> and what I used to do then, this is what I do now for the podcast, is that I just kind of jot down a few notes and then just start talking extemporaneously. And it's kind of fun. You know, the difference being that with the pod, it's sort of a, a good and bad thing or maybe good and challenging thing. I don't know. But, you know, where I, when I'm talking in front of a group of, a group of people then I can really read the group. You know, I can do it. You know, I can say a joke. I can do a joke. <laughs> I can say a joke and then react to people laughing. You know, I can draw it out by kind of stretching, stretching the joke in a way by letting people laugh and then waiting a pause, you know, giving them a pause and then jumping in with a second line to bring the laugh back again. You know, I can, I can, kind of like raise the timber of my voice, lower it to kind of make the point. I can use my body to express what I'm trying to say and things like that. So yeah, that, there's something sort of extra exhilarating about talking in front of groups. This is different. I mean, it's hard to say like what's, what's better or worse or what's more fun or not as fun. Because with this one, it's like I can just shut my eyes and talk, you know, and I'm kind of sort of just talking to myself. They say you're supposed to think of a person and then talk to them. I don't really have a person that I'm talking to right now. <laughs> Other episodes, I might have had someone that I was thinking about and talking to them. But this one, I'm just talking to myself or talking to no one. I don't know, just talking, basically. So, yeah, I enjoy it. It's, like, good for my brain to do that, you know. I mean, like, right now, it's like I'm just about seven minutes into recording this episode and it's seven minutes where I haven't been stressing out. I haven't felt anxious. I haven't, you know, felt like the walls were closing in on me or something like that, you know? So it's, it's just kind of nice to talk sometimes. So yeah, I, I enjoy it. And then the editing process is great too. Cause then I get to like listen and re-listen to <laughs> what, what was talked about. And while I'm doing that, I'm not, you know, letting my inner running monologue kind of just go. It's funny. I think I've talked about my inner running monologue before on the pod, but I don't think I've talked about it in a while, but it wasn't that long ago that I like, that I like first learned that not everyone has an, a constantly running inner monologue. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought that was everybody, you know, there's just like that voice in your frontal lobe that just never stops talking. And it's just always talking, just narrating every single step in your life. Yeah, I, I thought that everybody had that. But I learned a couple of years ago that not everybody has that. It's <laughs> uh, kind of funny. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I have that. And it just kind of goes. And a lot of times it's fun, you know. A lot of times it's, you know, I'm thinking about what I see or what I'm 
doing in the moment or thinking funny thoughts or philosophical thoughts or just singing a song to myself or something like that. I mean, it really varies. But then other times it's gnarly, you know, because it, it, it plays through sort of awful things. If I'm extra stressed, it just kind of jumps on negative thoughts and just goes with that, you know? So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. So that's kind of why, I don't know, I'm, I enjoy doing this. Like I, I feel like I don't need to have any listeners, listeners necessarily. I can just do this and then feel better doing it, you know? So I am finding, it's interesting, but I am finding that if a few days go by and I don't have a podcast scheduled, it's like I start getting itchy, you know, to get up on the mic and start talking about stuff. So that might mean something, you know what I mean? Like, so I always say, like, there are people who make art and there are artists. And there's a difference between the two. And I always said about myself that I was a person who made art. Because I don't, like, wake up in the morning thinking about making art. You know. It's like if you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is writing, then guess what you are? You're a writer. I actually love to write. And I'm all right at it. And, like, my mom was an English teacher and so made sure that I knew proper grammar. So I just hear it now and I, I know how to write. But I don't like wake up thinking about writing. If I don't write for a bunch of days, I don't start, you know, losing myself and my thoughts. I don't start itching for it. It's because I'm not a writer. I know how to write, but I'm not a writer. And I love music too. I play a couple instruments. I haven't, I haven't played them in a while. And music is really, really a thing for me. I mean, listening to music is definitely a thing for me. And I feel it that way. It's like if I don't take some time to listen to music that I love, after a day or so or two days, I start to kind of lose myself. You know, you lose track and who you are and what's going on. But I don't wake up with the urge to play an instrument or create music. You know, so yeah, I'm a I'm a music lover, but I'm not a I'm not a musician. I play instruments, but I'm not a musician, you know? But yeah, I, I mean, I have created podcasts in the past, but only for a very, very limited, you know, sort of audience and have only published a few episodes prior to doing Sunshine and Brain jokes, which, you know, I don't do anymore, obviously, but you know, I, I am finding myself waking up in the morning. And if I haven't created a podcast over a couple of days, it's like, I, okay, I, I, I need to create a podcast. <laughs> so I guess that makes me a podcaster. So yeah, I'm, I, um, I'm just going to keep on doing this. Yeah. You know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens, but it's helpful. It's definitely helpful. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty anxious. You know, I, I wouldn't go and say I'm in a panic attack mode. I mean, you'll notice this episode is not called panic attack part four, you know, because it's not, it's sort of not where I'm at, but I am anxious. So I guess panic adjacent, <laughs> which is what anxious is. I don't know if that's like the definition that you'll find in the dictionary, but that's a pretty good definition. Anxious, panic adjacent. 
Uh, yeah, so I am definitely anxious. But I notice it in my body. So like one of the things that happens to me when I'm especially anxious sometimes is I get this horribly annoying nose twitch where I just can't help but like, I don't know, move my nose around in a way. It's like a nervous energy kind of thing. And whew, it is, man, a couple weeks strong, a few weeks strong. And I've had it before. And when I, you know, finally I'm in a place to lose it, I, I have to like really think about it, like actively not twitch my nose in order for it to go away. But it's, it's, uh, whew, it is definitely there and definitely strong. And it's constant too. You know, so that's how you know my anxiety level, just generally speaking, is pretty high. You know, like sometimes when you have anxiety, which I have, sometimes what happens is, is that it gets, and I hate, I really honestly, I hate the word trigger. I hate the fucking word trigger. I can't even tell you how much I hate the word trigger. The only way to describe my feeling about the word trigger is to say that the fucking word trigger is a fucking trigger for me. <laughs> I wish there's another word for trigger. It sets me off. I don't know why. I'm not in a, I mean, I won't, I don't get like violent, but I don't enjoy it. <laughs> if someone says the word trigger, I, I'm okay with them saying it, but eventually I say, Hey, that word is a little weaponized. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> That's why I don't like it. That word gets weaponized real quick. Like if you want someone to stop doing what they're doing, when maybe it's you, like maybe you're the problem. But when you're wanting someone to stop doing what they're doing and you say you're triggering me, that person doesn't have a choice but to stop doing what they're doing. It's not a conversation. It's a, either you stop doing what you're doing or you're a fucking dick is basically what that word is saying. <laughs> I'd much rather have someone say, hey, when you're doing what it is that you're doing, I want you to know it's making me feel a certain way, but I think maybe it's me. And I just want you to know that that's what is going on right now. <laughs> and then I can be like, Oh, Hey, thanks for telling me. I can easily stop doing what I'm doing. Happy to do it. Or I can be like, Oh my gosh, thank you for telling me. You know, I, I like validate where you're coming from, but I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because X, Y, and Z, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like that's like the way to do it. But anyway, what was I saying? <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought because of the word trigger. That's all fucking much the word trigger fucking triggers me. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember what I was saying. Anyway, the nose twitches aren't from a trigger. They're just constant throughout the day. So that's how you know I'm like extra anxious because the nose twitches are going there throughout the day. What is related to anxiety bursts are, so I never get the hiccups. I only get anxiety hiccups. Those are the only kind of hiccups I get. I, you'll never catch me. I mean, when I was a kid, I got the hiccups. You know, where you're just like, I don't remember why or how it happens, but it just fucking happens. And then for five minutes, whatever, you're like in excruciating <laughs> torture, just hiccuping. And you can't stop. And it's awful. You know, I don't get those kind of hiccups. 
anymore. Pretty much not for years and years. Like my entire adult life, I stopped having the hiccups. <laughs> I feel like that's pretty common. Like I don't know too many adults who get the hiccups. But it is kind of funny. It is kind of funny when they do. But I don't know too many adults who get the hiccups. Anyway, yeah, but I do get anxiety hiccups. And they always come around like certain moments or certain thoughts or certain things that I have to do or that I'm doing that I know stress me out. And it's in those moments where the anxiety sort of goes up that I hiccup. Like I straight up hiccuped three times while getting out of bed this morning. That's how much anxiety I have. <laughs> that the very act of getting out of bed, like caused me to hiccup, not once, which is the usual amount for an anxiety thing, but three times in a row, like real hiccups. That's what I did. And I think just getting up out of bed was so stressful. <laughs> oh God. You know, it's everything that I've talked about in the previous episodes. You know, it's all those things that's still impacting me. Just that thought of like, you know, I don't know, I'm going to be alone forever. Not trusting my instincts anymore. You know, not trusting what I see in other people's reactions of me. Not feeling comfortable being vulnerable. Not feeling comfortable finding my way towards being sure that someone is really connecting with me and can really connect with me. And like many of you, I'm sure I feel surrounded, you know, I haven't talked yet about Biden winning the election as I've just been so fucking stressed out. <laughs> And if you've listened to a bunch of episodes, you know that I never felt like this was anything to fucking celebrate. Kamala Harris being vice president, yeah, I'll celebrate that for sure. Joe Biden being president, I'm good. I don't need to celebrate that. He's another fucking white guy in his mid-70s who I think raped a woman. So he's not Trump, that's for sure. Trump is from a different planet. But... How fucked up is it that people are actually making an argument that it's one woman versus 27 that we know of? You know, like, imagine being that one woman. Because she's just one, like, that makes it better. Like, he's suddenly the better choice. And the fucked up thing is that he is. That's how fucking bad Trump is. And I also knew it was going to be so fucking stressful, the whole transition, because who thought Trump was going to, you know, actually go quietly out the door if he lost the election? I mean, I certainly didn't. That would not have been at all consistent to his personality and the way that he's approached fucking everything in his whole entire life. You know? So you can't help but get, you know these awful dystopian fucking fantasies of having to have a coup d'etat, the military taking over him, finding some way to use the power of his seat to turn the election over, you know, fucking riots in the street. 
I mean, yeah, it wasn't hard to imagine all that stuff. It was all too predictable. And then the first days after the election, you know, it's not called for a while. Trump still hasn't conceded. He's never going to concede. He's going to lead office and leave office. And he's going to just continue talking about how, you know, the election was stolen from him. The Democrats cheated. He should be president. All this stuff. Continuing to drive divisions. Maybe push people towards violence. You know, it's like so easy to imagine that shit. So like that would be enough. You know, like just that, like just that would be enough. And that would be all it would take for me to like have a hiccup getting up in the morning. <laughs> you know, that feeling where you like open your windows and you're not sure if like all the buildings around you aren't going to be on fire. It's like, yeah, it's not hard to imagine that. So there's a huge amount of anxiety coming from just you know, the whole experience of the election and what the turnover of power is going to be like, you know, we're by no means out of the woods. Trump can leave office and we're still not out of the woods. Just the tension in this country is unbelievable. And yeah, that would be enough, but also, Oh, by the way, worldwide pandemic. (laughs) Inching our way towards a cure at this particular moment in history, there are, three or four companies out there that have a vaccine that has some nice, you know, high level results. It's pretty complicated though. First shots might be coming out here pretty soon, but they're not going to be for everyone. They're just going to be for healthcare workers, maybe essential, essential workers. That'll be who it's for. Probably just healthcare. And even that's a two shot dose, three weeks apart. And so, That's a significant amount of vaccines right there. So they're going to go first. After that, probably comes elderly folks, people most, you know, sort of most at risk. You know, I mean, basically, I'm going to be last. (laughs) You know, healthy guy who has good access to health care. You know, I'm going to be sometime in late June, early July, something like that. So looking ahead with a defined time in terms of how much longer we have to go, but like, that's a whole other half a year. So that's a long time. And then you start projecting to that moment beyond and just what it's going to be like to come out of it. And it's pretty anxious coming out of it. You know, like I never fought a war, but a lot of soldiers talk about how sort of more anxiety inducing it is to come home from a, you know, from a war zone than it is to go to it. That amazingly as stressful as it is to go to it, coming home because of the ways that we've been changed, you know, the ways that they've been changed It just, it's that much harder. And so like imagining going back to the world the way it was after this trauma is a very strange and difficult thing. I've I've lived in Israel twice and traveled there a few times. And say what you will about that country and their politics, the history there is unbelievable. I mean, the history all over the Middle East is unbelievable, but 
Israel especially with Jerusalem and all the sort of cities around, it's fascinating. You know, I've seen with my own eyes a Canaanite gate. I mean, it's unreal. You know, you're in a parking lot in front of like a mall and then you look to your right and there's a Roman aqueduct. (laughs) And the amazing thing about the Roman aqueduct is that's still a relatively recent build. Like in the grand scheme of things, the mall was built shortly after the Roman aqueduct. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty stunning being there. And that place is fucking intense, man. Like, there are soldiers with M16s everywhere. Uzis, fucking AKs, just everywhere. When you're there during a stressful time and there's, you know, unrest happening or war going on, like, you see shit, you know? First time I ever lived there, I lived on a socialist farm called the Kibbutz in the north of Israel. And, I mean, as the crow flies, maybe 50 miles south of the border to Lebanon, maybe a little bit more. But, you know, jet fighters go so fast that they essentially line up their bombing runs over Israel. And then when they cross the border to Lebanon, that's when they release their bombs. So, you know, you're like lounging in a pool and there's jet fighters lining up and going, you know. The second time I lived there, I lived in Jerusalem. And that was the year 2000 and 2001. And if you know your history at all, the what's known as the Second Intifada broke out during that time. Then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, who is considered by many Arabs and Muslims to be sort of like a, like um, a Hitler-esque figure for them. He decided to go ahead and take a walk on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem where the Al-Aqsa Mosque is and the Dome of the Rock, which are, you know, one of the three sort of holy places in Islam. And having him go there with such a disrespectful symbol for the Palestinians that they broke out in violence and that, that violence lasted for a couple of years. So where my apartment was, I used to go to sleep to, you know, the sound of tank fire, machine gun fire, gunfire, occasionally helicopters, fucking firing missiles, you know, bombs going off, all kinds of stuff. So that was crazy. Then I came home, you know, and it was like so much harder to be home. It was like there wasn't any security in front of restaurants. There weren't just guns everywhere, you know. People would leave like bags in the middle of public and nobody would call the police to come and blow it up. (laughs) Which is what happens in Israel. Like I can put your bag down and walk away. Five minutes later, that, that shit has been blown to smithereens, man. So, yeah, it was harder to come home. Of course, I came home to New York City and September 11th happened shortly thereafter. So all of a sudden it was like now there was security everywhere. (laughs) I was like, oh, this feels normal. (laughs) 
anyway. So yeah, those two things, again, COVID and thinking about transitioning out of it, trying to imagine the world as it was, but we're so changed from this crazy ass experience. Just what it's going to feel like to be in an office space again, how we're going to navigate all that stuff, you know, how we think about it. I can't wait to hear, by the way, what comedians do with this whole experience once, uh, once we start having comedy again. And there's been like a few shows here and there, but I'm really excited to see what comedians like really do with this when they can start to really, really do shows and really travel and really hone their craft again. I'm really excited to see sort of where they go with it. So that's one thing. But, uh, and musicians too, like there's been a few, you know, sort of COVID albums that have come out that I've definitely enjoyed because you can do a lot of stuff just from home now. I mean, so yeah, I mean, that's been, that's been really interesting and kind of cool. And I would imagine the creation of art in general, I mean, cause art, the best of art sort of comes from pain. I mean, that's sort of how art works. The best of art comes from pain and there's so much pain, you know? So, I mean, it's going to be some amazing art, but it's all stressful you know, sort of all of it. And then each of us has our personal shit, you know. I mean, for me, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, every parent is stressed out as a parent. That's just part of what it means to be a parent. It's stressful. There's so much to worry about, so much you got to work on, so much stuff, you know. So, yeah. And being a parent during the pandemic is extra stressful. <laughs> so you're watching your kids basically fucking wither away you know, not having social interaction, missing out on so much. And that, that is extremely painful, extremely, extremely painful and exhausted yourself. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm so stressed out. I know I can't be the best parent I want, I want to be. You can never be as good of a parent as you want to be, especially if you love your kids. That's hard, but I'm exhausted. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. How good of a parent can I be during a time like this? And savagely, it's times like this where you have to be as good of a parent as you can be. You know, how much better would it be if, like, the true high stakes of being the best parent you could be is only during the best times when you're well-rested and not stressed? <laughs> nope. It's the opposite of that. That's just fucking how it goes. All right, so add that on top of everything else. Add normal stressors of work stuff and friendship things and stuff like that. And that adds to it as well. And then for me, you know, add the weird decision that I made to fucking start trying to date people and find love during a worldwide pandemic. I mean, that's a whole nother level of shit right there. <laughs> So yeah, I've just been a stressed out, heartbroken dude for like a month. And it's had an impact. You know, not just the nose twitches and the hiccups and the not being able to parent as good as I want to parent. But also like, you know, I've hurt myself with thoughts, with, you know, not being able to 
do what I need to do to take care of myself as much as I need to and sort of eat healthy, swim as much as I do. I mean, I still swim almost every day, but less laps than I was before. I mean, not much less laps. <laughs> I'm doing okay in that department, but it's fucking hard. Like it's a lot harder than it was. I like try to talk myself out of it the whole way. And then I like, sort of barely talk myself into it as I climb into the pool and it's fucking getting colder. The pool is, you know? So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. So, you know, I'm hurting and not just that, but I'm, I think I'm also hurting people. That's the thing about, trying to date, especially doing it in the sort of app version. You know, it's like all my life, I never really dated, but when I had relationships, it was like, that was the person that I was interested in. They happened to be interested in me and we, we just went with it. I never remember a time where I'm like trying to decide between people, engage with multiple people at once, you know, <laughs> dealing with disappointment, challenge and things like that. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And dating through the apps is like the best and worst way to meet people on earth. I mean, there are parts of it that are great, especially, you know, the ability to weed out douchebags and assholes before you ever have to even meet them in person. I mean, they sneak through, <laughs> but it's a lot harder to sneak through. Lots of people can make a good first impression, you know, but you can have that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth impression before ever even moving to your cell phones and texting if you wanted to. Like that's totally possible. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty good thing. Like it's good. It's good to have that. At the same time, there's a, you know, the swipe left culture is crazy. The whole part of it where you're just scrolling through human beings and judging them and whether or not you'd want them and considering how you feel about yourself based off of who you reach out to, <laughs> sort of what it means. Eight times out of 10, you don't hear back from people, although I haven't really been keeping count. So I don't have any idea what my ratio of success is. And it's, Hard to tell anyway, because I mean, I, as I've said before, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your, I don't know why I felt the need to, I just, I just said the best part of, and then I just thought about this, the Folgers theme song, but, uh, no, the, the best part of online dating so far are the platonic friends that I've made and, you know, the two especially and, and what they have said to me, they're both beautiful women. And what they've said to me is, yeah, you, you know, you turn your, you turn your app on and it's like, suddenly you're just, you know, inundated with people like a bunch of fucking sharks circling. I think Kathleen says, it's like you stick your head above the, above the, you know, trench that you dug and, and that, and now you're being whacked in the face by, you know, thousands of dicks. <laughs> Which is an awesome image. That shit's fucking hilarious. But yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of what it's like for them. 
<laughs> and for me, it's like, you know, you're just reaching out. It's like basically recruiting. It's my full-time job at night. You're basically just reaching out to all sorts of people. Most of them don't get back to you because they're being whacked in the face by hundreds of <laughs> dicks at the same time. Or they don't like you, you know. One of those two image, one of those two reasons. Or they're not like really up on the apps. Like they have an account, but they don't like and really look at it. You know. Or they're just browsing. <laughs> you know, just browsing. Anyway, but yeah, you do connect and then you connect and you get excited and then you get disenchanted and then you get excited again and then you get sad and then you get excited again and then you get exhausted, you know, you connect with people and you come to care about them and it's very exciting, but then maybe you learn a bit more about how you connect and then it just doesn't work, you know? So, yeah, you know, when people ask me like what the experience of online dating has been, the answer I'm coming to say is it's sort of good. It's sort of bad. There's a lot that's good about it. There's a lot that's bad about it. I've been hurt. I've hurt people, you know, all sorts of things. And I have that saying all's fair in love and war, but that's pretty shitty. <laughs> that's a pretty shitty thing. I'm trying my best to do it from a sincere angle. You know, being honest, allowing myself to be vulnerable, to connect with people and feel the passion that they have and try to give them some of my passion. If I have concerns, communicate about them. You know, try to stay positive. Try not to ghost. Try not to let, I don't know, conversations die if it seems like there's genuine interest. But it's also hard to tell, you know, when there's genuine interest because conversations die. And I guess what you hope is, is that whoever you connect with, if it doesn't work out, that they don't spend a ton of time thinking about you. You know, that they're kind of able to move on pretty quick and find their next person. Occasionally, you hope they get stuck on you. <laughs> Occasionally, you hope that. But just your darker side. Like, fuck, I hope this person never gets over me. <laughs> I don't really mean that, but I kind of do at the same time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where it goes. And then wondering if you're sort of healthy enough or in the right space to really give something a shot, you know, I get so heady about it, man. There are points where I'm just like, there can't be anybody out there for me. There's no way there's anybody out there for me. I'm too idiosyncratic. I'm too weird. I'm too needy. I'm too tall. 
<laughs> multiple people tell me that I was too tall, by the way. Multiple people. I didn't think that that was going to be a thing because most of the guys I know who try to do online dating and they're like, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 5'10", even, something like that. They're just kind of like, fuck, man, if you're not six feet or more, it's like you're at such a disadvantage. And when I used to talk to them about that, I would think to myself, man, if I ever online date, that'd be great. Six foot seven, tall you are, the better it is, right? And yet, <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that are just like, no, sorry, you're too tall. I do get, ah, never mind. <laughs> I had a thought just then that I was thinking about sharing, but I thought better of it. I just thought better of it. I mean, that's not so appropriate for the pod. Let's just say it has to do with how tall you are and what people assume about people who are as tall as you are as a man and what that might mean for them. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. If you know what I'm talking about, then you're with me. If not, then, uh, yeah, happy to let that one fly over your head. But anyway, no, I mean, there are multiple people who have been like, dude, you're too tall. Sorry. So that's weird. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I don't enjoy it, but I do it because I just want to find one person, but also I don't enjoy it. And I have a sort of a couple of people who I'm connecting with right now who seem great. You know, in fact, I've got a date tomorrow night. So I'm interested to see, you know, how that goes. If it goes well, then I think maybe we've got something we can work with exclusively here and see what there is. And if not, then, you know, I feel like I'm not exactly back to the drawing board, but I am inching really close to needing another break. Definitely getting there. <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe a month, maybe two months, something like that. We'll see. But I'm not I'm not ready to go there just yet. I do have a couple paths I want to just take a peek up and sort of see what's what. Meanwhile, I'm still in my head about the last one. You know what I mean? I'm still in my head about the one that, you know, sort of led to the panic attack part one episode. Still in my head about that. You know, the way that we build neural pathways is something that I think a lot about right now. In my therapy, the main thing I'm working on, aside from dealing with my anxiety, anxiety right now, although it's related, is reconnecting, you know, sort of those neural pathways that I disconnected and that caused me depression. And I've talked about it before in the pod, you know, but the whole idea that I sort of built an eight-lane highway neural pathway around the feelings of anger and mourning that I really don't let myself feel them purely as what they are. 
and I cover them up with first things anxious and then depressive thoughts. And you know what I'm working on in therapy and outside of therapy too is reconnecting those feelings and therefore shutting off the eight lane neural pathway highway that is depression and anxiety. You know, this is the gateway through which I can maybe send my depression and my anxiety into a, a deeper remission. I'll always have to keep an eye on it, but into a deeper, longer, more stable remission. That's, a, that's what I'm doing here is rearranging neural pathways. But I'm also creating neural pathways at the same time. And that's how you rearrange them is by creating them. And I'm not necessarily creating healthy neural pathways. But being vulnerable is creating neural pathways. I mean, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable with a person, what you're doing is you're stripping your clothes in front of them metaphorically and handing them a whip and not into BDSM. <laughs> <laughs> like for some people that's fun but I mean like in a not fun way I need them a whip like they're not going to aim for the meaty parts there's no aftercare there's no fucking safe words it's just whip and I'm looking for one which means except for that one Every single people that I, every single person who I bear myself to in that way is going to hurt me or I'm going to hurt them. You know, that's just what's going to happen until I find that one and she finds me. And who, I mean, I had created some pretty significant neural pathways between me and the last one. Like significant. So that's nerve wracking. Yeah, I did it in a short amount of time. Most of the neural pathways I created, I created before we were even together. During the two months of, you know, quote unquote, not doing online dating. Meanwhile, thinking the whole time about asking her out. You know, so I'm just constantly thinking about her. I created such thick neural pathways there, man. Really, really thick ones. And then when it happened, they just solidified. You know, just solidified. And then when it stopped happening, they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Holy shit. You know. So it's crazy. I mean, that's why I've been so out of my out of my brain bonkers the past few weeks. And that's why I'm probably inching towards needing a break. But I'm still not closed off to it. You know, I'm open to the possibility of connecting with someone in such a strong way that suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. I've had like little glimpses of that, maybe. But nothing yet. So we'll have to, I guess, see where it goes. But in the meantime, 
that's kind of where, where that's at right now. You know, I think the gateway out for me is, first of all, I mean, there's something to be said about just time and distance. You know, you just give yourself enough time and give yourself enough distance and you're able to put things in the right perspective. So there's that. And then there's also just the releasing nature of allowing yourself to be emotional about things. And so, you know, you release it and then you feel better. So there's that as a technique as well. And for me, you know, finding a new narrative is what's really key. You know, finding the thing that it's like, oh, this is what I learned from this experience. And it's funny, I've talked on the podcast in the past about sort of how weird faith is and how it works and how I think it's a little bit silly for human beings to expect themselves to be logical. You know, that like, that our belief systems don't have inherently built within them, which I know what inherently means, <laughs> but I say those two things together for, you know, poetic effect. So inherently built within them, fuck off motherfuckers, but inherently built within them, like hypocrisy, you know, and I said, there are things that I believe with my brain, but not in my heart. And there are things that I believe in my heart, but not with my brain. So if you ask my brain if there are ghosts, I say, no, there's no fucking ghosts. But if you ask my heart, I'll say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are ghosts, all right. You know, <laughs> that's sort of how that works. So synchronicity I've talked about in the past is one of those things for me as well. And what you kind of notice happening around you. So I am... Um, in texting with friends of mine about kind of how I'm doing and what's been going on more than one occasion, like many occasions, as a matter of fact, I don't know how many count wise, but many occasions when writing her name, like texting her name, autocorrect changes it to the word awareness. <laughs> Because I don't really know. It's like not that. It's not close at all. Like if you knew what the name was, what her name was, you'd be like, awareness? How does autocorrect get awareness from that? It must be because I type fast or whatever. Or whatever. But uh, yeah, it keeps changing it to awareness. So of course I'm like, am I supposed to be gaining awareness? <laughs> and then the other thing is, I got this like owls in my neighborhood. And sometimes I'll like, be laying down and thinking about something and then I'll just hear the owl hoot or step out to the balcony and just hear the owl hooting away. And owls are all about wisdom. I mean, that's like what they stand for. The wise old owl. And owl is also one of my spirit animals, according to the internet. <laughs> the other is the dolphin. So I, I, uh, yeah. So I've been hearing owls recently and I was up at my sister's for Thanksgiving as a matter of fact, and heard an owl there. You know, so I'm just like, oh, okay, awareness and wisdom. Those are the things I need. And yeah, I mean, maybe it seems like that's what I'm meant to learn through this. You know, sort of, I guess, through the pain that I feel I'm supposed to remember about the pain that I've caused in others and not take it lightly. You know, 
really take care to make sure that I'm finding that balance somehow between making decisions that are there to protect my own mental health while also being protective of whoever I'm trying to connect with their mental health. That's really hard. It's definitely hard to do that. The last thing I ever want to do is make someone spiral. But if I'm going to spiral, I'm not going to be able to help them. And I'm precisely not the person who could help them if I'm spiraling right alongside them, you know. And that could, that could very well happen with me. And so in that case, you know, it's sort of having the wherewithal to sort of bow out, give that person the space and the respect to know that they can take care of themselves and understand that, like, I can't help, you know. I don't have the ability to help with certain things. I'm not the right person to do that. So the ability to know that and to just know when to step away is a huge, huge challenge. And then the ability to continue to sort of have hope and keep looking despite that is something very challenging. So, yeah, the additional anxiety of trying to kind of keep track of myself and looking for that new narrative, you know, why, why, why would this have happened? Everything felt so right. Everything felt perfect. The way things kind of lined up was amazing. And now here I am back on the apps. Like, why would this have happened? Oh, right. I was meant to learn this extra thing. And maybe it's awareness and wisdom. Maybe it's something else. You know, but I was meant to learn this extra thing. And maybe, just maybe after I learn this extra thing, then that will be my last lesson that I need to learn as a single person. (laughs) I was about to say my last lesson before I finally get the love of my life forever. And then the learning stops. No, that's not how that works. (laughs) The last lesson that I need to learn as a single person. Every other lesson after this one will be a lesson I learned in tandem. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's the narrative I need, you know? When I grab onto that one, then I'll be able to look at this and you know, say in all honesty that like, I know I'm, I'm ready because of all the lessons I've learned. It's funny. So yeah, anxious, 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 man. Really ready to be in a different mental and emotional space for sure. I'd love to feel positive and good again, you know. It'd be great to 
get rid of a couple of these stressors. Maybe just peel them back a little bit. Everything I've heard and read about the vaccines is that it's just going to be a yearly thing. Like you're going to have to get your COVID shots every year, basically, or every year and a half or something like that. Because what they're finding is the antibodies wear out. So it's going to be like the flu, sort of. There's also different versions of COVID, believe it or not. Different families and shit, you know. So it's going to be like the flu. Where just every year you get a different a different shot. You get a new one. And that's just what it is to be a human from now on. You know, that's just what we're doing. <laughs> it's crazy. So... Yeah, get rid of that anxiety. Have Trump actually walk out of office and, you know, the quote-unquote lesser rapist walk into office, I guess. You know, maybe he won't be so inflammatory. And then maybe, you know, find myself a partner who I can grow with over a long period of time. And have that sense of confidence and knowing that, like, she's in it for the long haul in the way that I am. And even though you can never guarantee what's going to happen, I mean, all sorts of things happen in in relationships and love. You just never know. But still to have some confidence that both of us are committed to learning and growing with each other, you know? To always being honest and communicative, protective, supportive. You know, like all those pieces, have it be a good match. Nice and easy. You know, hard work because they all are, but still relatively easy. You know? Yeah, give me those things. And uh, I'll be a lot better. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'll be a lot better. And then maybe I'll look back and be able to say, all right, well, had some pretty crazy experiences. I met some really nice people. I made a couple of friends. I fell in love. And then get rid of those fucking apps. Never open one ever again. <laughs> uh, that would be great. That would be great. Anyway. That's all I have to say about that. I can actually do a better Forrest Gump impression than that. But I don't know why I like tempered it down because it was embarrassing in that moment to do a real Forrest Gump impression. But like I can do a legit Forrest Gump impression. I want you to know that. Like legit Forrest Gump impression. I just don't feel like doing it here. Because I'm not your monkey. Alright? I'm just a podcaster who does podcasts for nobody except for his closest friends who are the only ones who listen as well as all the women who I've hurt in the past. (laughs) Uh, And none of the women (laughs) who I would want to hear this and be like, Oh, I actually still love you. I don't know why I gave her an accent like that. What even accent was that? Brazilian? I never dated a Brazilian woman. Come on, Josh. The fuck are you talking about here? <laughs>
All right. Anyway, that's this episode for now. That's probably enough. I'm just talking nonsense at this point. It's 11.02 p.m. on Wednesday, the week after Thanksgiving. And uh, this is where things stand. As always, I hope you like and review this episode, share it with as many people as you can. I don't know how many people that might be, but share it with all of them. And I hope, uh, you know, listening in helps you feel maybe not so alone. And I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, this long-ass tunnel we still have left to go down. And I hope you're not so stressed and not so anxious, but, you know, hanging in there at least, at least. If you want to join the conversation, please feel free to write me. You can still find me at josh at periveritas.com. Otherwise, stay tuned. I got one more interview I'm looking to organize. Maybe another one. I'm not sure. And then I'm going to turn back and start trying to reconnect with uh, folks who I've interviewed so far. We'll do check-ins, see how they're doing. You know, bring Kathleen back. She's already stressed out about it. Get Kenny back on. Get Ben back on. Get Andre on and maybe just talk about how we're doing, you know. Andre and I got to continue with the the theme of uh, toxic masculinity too. I'm just about ready to get back into that. In fact, I started listening to this really interesting book about toxic masculinity. I'm excited to finish it. And maybe that'll be the kind of gateway of what I bring to our next conversation. But, and, uh, and then, yeah, I keep doing these solo episodes because they're fun and good for me. And I enjoy doing it. It gives me a chance to just talk and talk for over an hour now at this point. And I feel better afterwards. So, hey, it's good business, as they say. It's good business. In any case, as always, thanks so much for listening. 